We'll talk about the weather, but uh, the last few days, um, we can say quite a lot about the weather. We were a few, um, had some interesting experiences yesterday with the rain and then the sun and then the rain again and then the sun again and then the rain again. <laughs> For those of you that have just moved to Hermanus or considering it, it's not always like this. So as we've been just journeying through this, uh, through this theme of city to city and speaking about the, the city of Corinth and then our beautiful little town Armanus and just how relevant it is of, of how we can take some of those concepts from, from that day and age right through to today where we live. We've just really went through this journey and I want to encourage you, if you haven't um, listened to the previous three parts, you can go and listen to them online just to get some context and some background. There is quite a lot. There's a rich context, a, a lot. It's a very contextual book, the book of Corinthians. There's a lot going on and I'm today not going to go into too much detail of the background of it, but I am going to touch one or two things. But if we look at if we look at Scripture and we look at the author Paul and the, and the letters that he wrote in the books, if we see the book of Romans, that's one of the most theologically rich books that he wrote. But if we look at the book of Corinthians, it's probably one of the most practical books that he wrote. We read in 1 Corinthians 16, quite towards the end of, the, of, of 1 Corinthians, he, he writes, he says, Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now, the book of Corinthians, the very reason, if we go and, and do our research, the very reason behind the letters of Corinthians reveals a reality to us. And a lot of it has come up over the last few weeks, but I'm just going to touch on them again. But it reveals the reality that the local church is made up of fallible human beings. And more than that, the church, the humans in church, we are not exempted from the influences of the world. A lot of research has proven recently that many scholarly articles have been written along the lines of this, that the, the socio-cultural environment background of the Corinthian church resembles post-modernity, a time and age that we are living in now in so many ways. For example, just like in the, in the present times today, we know this by now, but truth in that time was ascribed to who makes the best speech or argument. We know they were very skilled debaters and, and people that could converse highly. And truth was ascribed to who could make the best argument instead of just presenting the facts. And that sounds quite familiar. Justification and pluralism, in other words, there were more than one way, one basic principle of doing something is what they believed, and these things were seen as vessels for them to advance towards fame, towards prosperity, towards success, self-advancement. The right of the individual was oftentimes seen more, as far more important as the right of a community, as long as the individual within themselves are okay with it. They felt okay with it. The average Corinthian 
And I'm not saying everyone, but what we read from Scripture is, and, and what we can see from articles and a and lot, of, lot of research that has been done over the years is, we see there was this mindset that they had that the end could justify the means, even if that meant doing something immoral. If it works, it's right. Therefore, there was no doubt that a church in this environment would face its fair share of challenges. It is therefore very understandable that Paul's approach was very practical and that Paul spoke to them in such a way that they could be corrected with issues of inappropriate application of, of, of doctrine or proper understanding of doctrine. As we have so powerfully heard over the last few weeks that the church of the day displayed an inappropriate understanding of the cross of Jesus Christ and all it stood for. Paul therefore had to bring it back to the basics for them. He had to explain the full redemptive work of the Christ of the cross, death, and resurrection, and its nature, its impact, and its consequences on the believer. Now, the profound thing for me about Paul's letters to the Corinthian church, despite all the practical discourse, all the practical explanations, and, and the, the issues that he touched on, things like sexual immorality, food offered uh, to uh, idols, the spiritual gifts, all those things, proper conduct in worship. We've heard many of these things over the last few weeks, and I really want to encourage you to go and study 1 Corinthians for yourself. Go and look into these issues. But besides all of that, one of the most profound things that stood out for me is when I read this book, and, and something that not only stood out for me, but it's something that drives me and inspires me as a believer is that in a society facing very similar issues that we live in today as the church of Corinth, was Paul's persistence to see this church change, to see a church divided, a body divided, come into the unity of Christ together for the advancement of the kingdom. In 1 Corinthians 12 we read, For as the body is one and as many members, but all members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact the body is not even one member, but many. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Now, this portion of Scripture directly pertains to the gifts of, of the Holy Spirit and the application, but in essence, Paul was preaching the unifying and reconciling message of the cross, the message of unity, a unity in diversity. You see, Paul was speaking to them, and he was highlighting the fact that we need to shift the focus of independence to an interdependent way of living. Because of Christ, who is the head of the church. The church of Corinth was by no means ill-equipped or uneducated in the truth of the gospel. We know that the Apostle Paul, for about 18 months, with them. And after his ministry there, he moved back to Ephesus for, for three years. And then he sent Apollos 
with a first letter, a letter now lost to us, unfortunately. But he was a very skilled apologist and a Jewish speaker. And then later he sends his apprentice Timothy. And we also know, if we read 1 Corinthians, that Peter had an influence in the city of Corinth. And it made a big impact on them. Now, we're not sure if he, uh, completely sure if he directly ministered there himself or if it was through messengers from Jerusalem where he was at. But we do know it had a profound impact on the church. But Paul, after his departure from the city, he never gave up on them. He then sent Apollos with the first letter, a letter which is now lost to us. And then after that, he sent Timothy with a second letter, the letter that we know now as 1 Corinthians. And then himself visiting them again a second time, which he labeled the painful visit. Then he sent Titus with a third letter, also unfortunately now lost to us. And then Titus's report prompted Paul to write another letter, actually a fourth letter, which we now know is the second letter of Corinthians. And this was written approximately one year after the first letter. And then Paul made another visit to the church. You see, if I read this and if I understand this, it's not something that will just jump out. You, you kind of have to go and, and apply yourself and, and go see just how much Paul invested into this community. And for me, the, the apostles' profound persistence in seeing this church come to unity is so inspiring. And it was profoundly evident in the way he kept contact with them, in the way that he sent messages to them and, and kept in contact with various sources, writing to them and also visiting to them. I think it's fair to say that he did care for them. You see, the church's lack of understanding to God's holiness caused them to live a self-seeking, selfish type of a lifestyle. Having this individualistic mindset. And this caused divisions within the church. This caused factions within the church. This disunity that they experienced amongst the believers is not something that's really unfamiliar to us today. And what's so profound for me is that Paul sought to correct this. In 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5 to 9, we read, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants to whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. It's only God who gives the growth. He who plants and you waters are one, and each will receive his wages. According to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, his building. You see, Paul was persistent in getting the church, the body of Christ, ready. And he was not only excited about the gospel of Jesus Christ, but the very power of the gospel is what filled him, is what really made his heart burn to see this change in this this community of believers because he saw that the power of Christ has the ability to change the very believer's heart and he was persistent in that in seeing this happen in the church of Corinth knowing that each one of us has a specific part to play 
We have to work together in unity if we want to see the kingdom of God advance. Paul knew this. He fought for this. He lived for this very concept. In Mark 3, verse 24 to 25, it's, it's also in, in the gospel of Matthew. And this was Jesus speaking. He was addressing the Pharisees. And this was shortly after he cast out a demon. And they, they accused him of casting out in the name of the devil. And then he speaks to them and he says, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. Speaking of the fact that how can the devil cast out the devil? But the concept here is if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, it will not be able to stand. Jesus was for unity. In more ways than one, our environment today is very similar to the environment of the Corinthian church. And the fact that we hear the truth, we know the truth, we study the truth, we understand the truth, but we don't always apply it. Because oftentimes if we, if we truly apply the whole truth to our lives, it might lead to, dare I say, being uncomfortable. See, we comprehend what Jesus has done for us on the cross. We understand it. We worship him for it. But I have to ask myself, do we fully understand it? Because I can only see it to a certain extent if I still look to the church today. We know God is holy and his word tells us. In 1 Peter 1 verse 15 to 16, we read, But as he who is called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. But do we really appreciate God's standards and expectations for holiness in our lives it's a challenge that i pose to all of us today you see we understand certain concepts in our lives we understand the power and the blessing of of giving just as we've heard that that message of tithing and there's a blessing upon it we know it what does our giving look like though we know the fruits of the spirit of by heart We've sung the songs, we, we've went into each aspect individually. Well, I have to ask this morning, how's your patience? How's your self-control? Am I busy working on those things? And this one is for the parents, and, and I'm challenging myself here as well. I'm just being a little bit practical like Paul was, but if the Lord calls us to bring up our children in the discipline and instruction of his ways, what are the things we are allowing them to watch on TV? I've got two young boys. What are the games we are allowing them to play? I don't want to go too much into this, but I am... Sometimes very scared when, when I hear stories of, of 
children aged 10, 9, playing R-rated games, just being left because it's okay. They're being entertained. I'm not going to get too personal, but the, the essence of my message here today is we understand the concept of holiness just like we, we know the Corinthians. They weren't stupid people. They were very smart people, in fact. They understood these things, but do we really apply them in our lives? A house divided will not be able to stand on its own. But when I read the scripture, I am praising the Lord that Paul did not give up on the church. He had all the reason to, yet he never gave up. Just like Christ never gave up on us. If we put all practical reasons aside, the very essence of 1 Corinthians, the letter was written to see a church divided, working together for the unity, in unity, to see the kingdom of God advance. And if you look at the book of 2 Corinthians, it underscores the power of the Holy Spirit in Paul's life as a minister, in his suffering, and his motives as a messenger of God. Now if we put these two together, I believe it forms a very powerful mandate to us as believers today. That we need to have this burning desire and yearning in our hearts to see God's kingdom come in our lifetime, in our worlds, irrespective of what we face, irrespective of the opposition, of the challenge, irrespective of how uncomfortable it might make us feel. Christ never gave up on us. If we look at the life of Paul, a blue-collar worker, we know he was a tent maker, a man who at times had plenty in his own words, and then at times he did not know where his next food would come from. At many times he was in a place of need. Yet, because of his contentment in Christ, because he knew Christ's provision that Christ was with him, he was content in all circumstances. He knew that he could do all things through Christ to strengthen him. See, the apostles' love for God and his desire to see God's children, his people, grow in the unity of Christ in the kingdom should deeply encourage every one of us here today. See, Paul did not only deal with a church divided, but he faced severe opposition from the very people that he loved so dearly. Again, that sounds very familiar. In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23 to 30, and just to put a little in context, Paul was writing to the church because he was opposed by other Apostles, the, the scriptures sometimes refer to them as these super apostles, people that opposed Paul's ministry and they challenged him publicly. But they had all sorts of other different beliefs as well. And Paul writes to them and he says, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews five times I received forty stripes minus one. 
Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I have been in the deep. In journeys often in perils of waters. In perils of robbers. In perils of my own countrymen. In perils of Gentiles. In perils in the city. In perils in the wilderness. In perils in the sea. In perils among false brethren. In weariness. In toil. In sleeplessness, often in hunger and thirst, in fastings, often in cold and nakedness, besides the other things what comes upon me daily. In other words, irrespective of all these things that he has faced, he says, my deep concern for all the churches, my deep concern for all the churches, who is weak and I am not weak. Who is made to stumble, and I do not burn with indignation. He does not oppose his unfairness. He does not throw his toys out of the cot. He goes on to say, if I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. See, the centrality of Christ's ministry in Paul's life is the very fire that caused him to push the lines, to push forward. To when he suffered, to suffer well, never giving up, even when his flesh was weak. I want to continue in 2 Corinthians 12, from verse 7 to 10. He says, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that I might depart from me, that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, I am strong. Now there's much dispute about what that thorn in the flesh could mean. Scripture is not very definitive about it, but irrespective of that, Paul describes his fallibility as a human being, just like us here today. And that was being used against him but God, in his perfect way, used Paul's weakness to exemplify the message of the cross, revealing to every believer that in our times of weakness, when I'm weak, I am indeed strong. Not by myself, not because of anyone else, through Christ who strengthens me. Christ gets glorified in our weakness. If we understand that concept, if we start living our lives according to that standard, things are going to change completely in this world. Christ gets glorified through our weakness. I'm going to do a practical illustration quickly, and I'm going to ask the band to come up, or oh, Mariette. 
I'm not going to play a song. I was just hoping maybe, maybe the chair. Okay, never mind. So, it's fine. Sorry, I forgot to put my strap on. I'll do it in the second service. So, what I want to ascribe is that if we are believers in Christ, let's say this guitar represents us. If I strum this, these chords, these strings individually, they don't do much. It makes a noise, it's a guitar. It does what it's supposed to do. If it works, it's right. And then sometimes, the things of this world, we face reproach, we face challenges, we face our infirmities, we face our different needs that we have. I really hope this doesn't snap. then when we play something beautiful right it's still a guitar it still makes a noise it works sometimes that's the way we reason in life We become out of tune because of the things of this world. And we just let it happen, but it's okay. We can reason and say the end justifies the means. But you see, when we come to Christ, we understand that we become part of something much greater than who we are. Something much bigger than we are. When I boast in my infirmities, I realize that Christ is my strength. I understand the concept that when I am weak, I am strong. Therefore, I'm allowing Christ to start working in my life. And eventually, the more I understand this, the more I start living less for myself. And more for Christ, I become in tune with Him. See, when we understand, we apply this concept in our lives. We understand we're actually now part of something much bigger than we could always, we could ever fathom or believe. We don't just live for ourselves. We understand we start contributing to something much bigger. 
we become stronger in who we are, even though we are weak. And there's this unity that starts to, to show in our lives. And then when we start joining together, we start adding value. We start adding depth. We start making a change. We start seeing a change in the kingdom of Christ. start working together and there's a flow that is building this morning we can choose to live our lives and we can choose to be happy with the way that we are detuning every now and then a little bit further a little bit further but we're still here I'm still coming to church I'm still doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm still serving. But am I really making a difference for the kingdom? Am I really adding, am I adding value? Or am I just being content with what I have? You see, if we start reasoning the way Paul reasoned, knowing that we are, when we are weak, we are strong. We are saying, Lord, come into my life come into that area where I've grown cold, come into that area where I've stagnated, where I have neglected you, and we say, come and tune. Come and tune me in, Lord. The more we start trusting the Lord in every aspect of our lives, I named a few practical things like finances, how we raise our children, how we speak to other people, how we speak to our wives, how we love our wives, our husbands. Not just being content with what we have because it works, but knowing that God has a higher standing, a higher standard for us of holiness. And that when we allow Him, He will tune us. And it will become part of a bigger thing. A bigger melody. Worship. In Romans 12, Paul's right, Paul writes that, In light of God's mercy, I urge you, brothers, therefore, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, which is holy and pleasing. I want us to stand this morning, and as we stand, I want us just for a few moments, let's close our eyes and let's bring our hearts before the Lord and let's ask Him to show us, to reveal to us where are the areas, where are the areas, where are the standards that we, we feel we're okay, but that we actually dropped. And we say this morning, Father, come and have your way in every aspect of my life. to speak to him in your own words for a few moments.
So Father, this morning we just come before you, Lord, and we ask to have your way in every part of our lives, Father. Maybe, Lord, we, we've always thought things are, are working, so it's okay, Lord. We, we didn't maybe want it to happen, but, Lord, we've caused disunity. We've opened doors for things to come into our lives, Father, that are driving us further away from you, sometimes subtle, sometimes big. Lord, this morning I pray, Father, that you will strengthen each person in this room here. Grant them the courage and the boldness to boast in their infirmities. Grant us, Lord, that boldness to say, when I am weak, I am strong through Christ who strengthens me. Lord, so that we could be effective instruments and seeing your kingdom advance in this world that so desperately needs you. Thank you, Father, that you love us. Thank you that your, your mercy is new for us every day, Lord, and that your grace is sufficient for us. We do not want to take that for granted. We don't want to remain unchanged, Lord. We say, come and change us. Come and tighten where there needs to be tightened. Come and loosen where there needs to be loosened so that we are tuned into you. So that we don't just make empty noise, Father, but that we will make beautiful music for you. This morning I want to pray for those of you that that maybe feel you've neglected certain things in your life. I'm not going to call anyone out. But if that is you this morning, you feel there are areas where you, you just, you're happy with how it was, but you know that you know that you know. You did not allow God to do a full work there. If that is you this morning, I want you to raise your hands. I just want to pray with you. Thank you, Father, for all these hands that go up. You know each one of them by name. I pray for every brother and sister, Lord, that raised their hands. I pray that you will help them, that you will strengthen them. Show, show them, Lord, what they must do. Do not just be content with what they have, Lord, but to continue to seek you and to trust you to do a mighty work in their lives. This morning, I also want to pray. There's some people here in this room that, that really feel they want that, that, that zeal, that fire, that, that burning desire in their hearts to see God's kingdom come. In their, not only in their houses, but in their town, in the city, in, in, this, in this world. If you want to be reignited in your heart this morning, I want you to raise your hand. Father, I thank you for every hand in this place, Lord. Your name be glorified, Lord, through each person here. Thank you, Lord, that we can boast in our infirmities, infirmities because when we are weak, 
We are strong through you, strengthen us. And I pray that for every person who raised their hand in this place this morning. I pray, Lord, that you will stir that fire in our hearts to be persistent just like Paul was, to not give up, to see our brothers and sisters come to the unity of Christ. Thank you, Father, that you are here with us this morning. Thank you, Father, that we know that you hear our prayers. We glorify your holy name. And we say thank you, Lord, because you are holy. We are holy. We are called to be holy. Help us to make that part of our very existence to pursue a life of holiness and purity. No matter how difficult it may be, no matter how uncomfortable it might be at times, but to not waver, to not compromise on the truth. Because we are not alone. We give you all the glory this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. If there is anyone here that would like us to pray with you, I'm going to ask some of the facilitators just to rem- remain here in the front. If there's someone that needs specific prayer, we'd love to pray with you. For the rest of you, have a very blessed day.